Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see everyone. It was fun having like our first thing back from being gone, uh, be that back to school outreach. That, that was a blast. I mean, I, I got to say, when Delaney told me that we had 195 kids registered, I was like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. And you know, when you're praying like the whole like loaves and, and fishes thing before an event even starts, you're like, let's have enough backpacks. <laughs> like, that was my mode. Uh, but man, I was just so thankful. And I know, I know her and her whole team were so thankful as well, because with Kingdom Builders and how we ran the event, they were able to like have everything exactly what they need for the event. Um, and and it, it was just a huge blessing, not only to have everyone serve, but, but like Katie said, to just have such generosity that we could give and continue to give. And man, it, it's a huge win. We gave, up, we gave out about 200 backpacks and, and then a whole bunch of supplies, like a ton of supplies. We had, uh, I think, like 60 haircuts. We did a, t- I mean, we, I saying we isn't like the church, but our stylist did. I cut nobody's hair. They refused to let me. I offered. Um, but uh, just really, really an incredible event and excited about what God's doing and continues to do. Uh, like Katie mentioned, or someone did, my, my mind's a little bit of a blur. I'm doing double duty today. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like my brain, I'm getting back into it, but, I, but I've been praying about this word. And I don't know if anyone's mentioned it, but if they haven't, this is the last week of our Church on Fire series. And then next week, we're going to be starting a series called The Lost Art of Friendship. And I want to encourage you, I've been really anticipating this, not because uh, this is a series by any means. It's like, you got to do better at making friends. Nobody's making, like, it's not a guilt series. It's really like an encouragement series of how do we come alongside each other? I don't know if you've noticed. I think it was always there before COVID, but it's really there post-COVID. We live in a very individualistic culture that lives with a massive relational deficit. And the beautiful thing is, as we begin to understand our friendship with Jesus, we, it makes us better at making friends. As we begin to understand the grace of God, it, it's so, and, and, the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, man, it's just a beautiful thing comes out. And the church was, was always that beautiful place for, for brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ and believing great things. So I want to encourage you, be a part of that. It's going to be fun. But I want to jump in it today as we close our, uh, our series on Church on Fire. I'm so thankful for, for Patrick speaking and Jamin speaking. Just some incredible incredible messages, and we had a, 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 a Todd Forrest come speak before that. We've had just some great speakers come through, and uh, I was joking with someone last night. I think it was Maddie. I was joking. I was like, hey, you've been here four weeks. You've heard me preach once. That's not normal, but <laughs> but I'm excited to be back and uh, excited to jump into it. I, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm curious if you ever had an experience where you're, you're walking one way, you're walking in a direction, you're living at your life in a certain direction, and it's just like, bang, there's this massive collision in life of maybe positive or negative, and all of a sudden the direction you were headed, the, the things you were pursuing totally shifted. I don't know if you had this experience where, where the direction that you were going in life, it's like you have this collision almost with God, and he intercepts that and shifts you over maybe in relationships or maybe in your life or, or maybe uh, in, in, the, in the way that your career has gone or something. It's just like there's such a clear moment of God stepping in and, and really directing you in another direction, and there's something about an encounter with God in that way that changes everything. It doesn't just change our thinking. It changes our whole direction. We're, we head in a totally different direction. When Katie and I, uh, before we moved here, we were praying about what the next step for us was. We had been part of a church that was growing. We had uh, helped a, cam- a campus uh, relaunch into school and move into a building. And we're like, great. You know, there's, there's a couple hundred people here. Where we, we love this. This is awesome. But we felt like God was stirring something in us. And so there was a little town next to our town and uh, called Snohomish. And we had an opportunity there. And so we were praying about it. And we have always, like, envied 
envied this town uh, because it's where the people, when they get money, move from our town to that town. And, uh, and uh, we wanted to move there, so we were looking at houses, and we were, ready, we were ready to go. And it was just like God collided with our situation and reawoke a dream, actually, that we'd had years before to come to Arizona. And uh, if you didn't know, that changed a lot for us in the trajectory of our life. And uh, there's a lot of uh, awesome ripples, and I'm so thankful. But there was there was a moment where God really directed us, and I remember calling uh, one of our now board members, Tyrone, on the phone, and being like, "Man, I feel like I've just had this experience, and that God is so radically colliding with me and like intersecting this, and just pushing me over here and saying, "No, this is where I've called you to go." Today, I want, I want to talk about a man named Saul, who you might also know is named Paul, which is too close for nicknames for me. But one, it, it's just it's two directives of the same name. And Paul is probably one of the most, other than, than Jesus, and maybe he could fight it out with Peter. He is one of, and obviously the Holy Spirit, but he is one of the most um, talked about and written about figures in the New Testament, primarily because he wrote most of the New Testament. So it was his experience. But Paul, and, and if you, and you open your Bible and you read that, the reason that that's there is because Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed everything. He had an encounter with Jesus. And I want to tell you, when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, Jesus changes everything. If you brought your Bible, would you do me a favor? Would you crack it open to Acts chapter 8, verse 1? And I'm going to fill in some blanks between some sermons that you've heard over the past couple weeks. Hopefully you were at church. But fill in some blanks this morning uh, about a man named Saul. Somebody say Saul. So let's jump with me, if you have your Bible, to Acts chapter 8. And let's pray together and dive into the Word of God. God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us, and we ask that you would minister as your word is shared and read this morning. God, we give it to you in your name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul, someone say Saul. Saul. Oh, someone say Saul. There we go. All right, we're all, we're all here. We're awake. We're making it happen, all right? Anyone on that four or five hour sleep grind with me? Come on, like you, you had good intentions, you went to bed, and then the air conditioner made that clicking noise all night. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. Then all of a sudden you decided to think about every mistake you made for the past three years of your career, right? Yeah, okay, cool, we're together, we're here, we're here this morning, here we are. <laughs> Verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? That was Stephen's execution. So a couple weeks ago, Patrick talked about Stephen and how he was selected and really to lead the way. And Stephen not only was selected, he was executed, and he was martyred. And the, the scripture immediately after Stephen is stoned to death says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, so we get this intro to this guy named Saul, and he is approving of the execution of Stephen. The, the execution is a nice way to say brutal murder because he said things they didn't like. Execution sounds like a law went through and there was a trial. He was murdered, right? <laughs> and Saul approves. He's at, he's present at the murder of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen. Patrick talked about Stephen, did an awesome job. Good job, Patrick. Thank you. And it says that Saul then goes on and he is ravaging. Look at that word ravaging. And not like he's complaining about, not that he's casually attacking. He is ravaging. He's going house to house. Imagine as a believer that there was somebody in our city who was going house to house, dragging up people in this church and having them murdered. That would be tense, right? 
Saul was a, was a Pharisee, he's part of the Jewish council, and the thing that we have to understand in this time in Judea is that they're re religious as Jews, as Israel, they're religious, political, it was all one identity, they were the people of God. And so they were all linked, and so they had power to uh, react in, in their synagogues, in their law, they had a power to react to what they thought would be heresy. And so after Acts 1, verse 3, Saul is ravaging the church, and then there's this gap where Philip, uh, encounter, or, uh, where Philip encounters some very unique people, encounters Simon the magician. How many of you were here for uh, Jamin's message? Jamin, incredible message. And so there's this gap, and then immediately after that, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, if you would jump there with me, we're going to hit a lot of Scripture today. I hope that's okay. I love the Word of God. Uh, it's, it's good. It speaks better than I do, and so we read it. Acts 9, 1 says this, But Saul, after all these things, right, we had this nice little gap, and it cuts back. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, the way that that's believers because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were called the way. It says men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul here is breathing out threats and murder. He's on the war path against Christians. What's interesting about Saul is even when he's writing as Paul, he does not shy away from the brutal reality of what he was doing. Let, let me read you a scripture today, Acts 26. Paul, Saul, says this. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but look at this, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Yeah. This guy kind of sucks. <laughs> but he's very honest. I've always loved this about Paul when he writes. He's very honest. He's very honest about, about his past. He, he's, he's not like, oh, I hope they don't find it. He's very honest. Okay, who, who is this guy? Who is Saul? Well, Saul, if, if you've never heard this name, Saul, in this moment in time right here that we're reading about where he's persecuting the church, Saul is a very pious Jew, very pious Jewish leader. In Acts 22, he says, he personally says that he came from a good family. He says he's educated at the feet of uh, Gamaliel, which, who was a very, very well-known teacher and rabbi at the time. In Galatians 1.14, he says he was advancing in Judaism, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. So he was, he was uh, successful. He was advanced. He was, he was top of his class. He was valedictorian of rabbinical school. He was primo uh, Jewish leader. And in Acts 23, he even says, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. This is what's so fascinating to think is that Saul was a Pharisee when Jesus was crucified, which means when the Pharisees got together and said, let's crucify him, Saul was one of the people who cast the words, the phrase, the vote to crucify Christ. He was there. He was a participant in the execution of Jesus. He was a participant in the execution of Stephen. He was zealous for God, but to be honest, if Satan is like church enemy number one, Saul was number two, right? Right? He was number two. And if you were an early uh, Christian, part of the early church, I, I guarantee there were prayers like, God, you need to get rid of this guy, right? Some like old school Psalms. You know, you read those Psalms that David wrote. And you're like, you can pray this? And he's like, destroy my enemies. <laughs> like, it's so intense. Have you ever read those Psalms? You're like, wow, like this is an intense prayer. Uh, but I'm sure those prayers are being prayed, right? But God does this crazy thing where God tells us to love our enemies. 
God tells us to pray. Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us. So what happens? You still with me? Okay, good. Verse 3, Acts 9, verse 3, it says, Now as he, saw, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. So Saul is, is riding. He's on his way to Damascus. He is knocked down by, by some glory that is shining. And he hears this, this moment in this speaking, and he says, Lord. Now, he's not recognizing this, this as Jesus. When he's saying Lord, he's not even yet recognizing it as Yahweh. When you read your Bible, it might be all capital letters in that sense. He's just recognizing there's some supernatural authority. He's confused, as all of us would be, yes? Quite confused. And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Just as a note, persecution against the church is persecution against Jesus. In John 15, Jesus said, just so you know, when they hate you, they hated me first. And if your life is supposed to go the way of my life, just remember, they killed me. Right? They, they didn't like the things I said so much. Have you ever had, have you ever had your pride just shattered? I remember... Uh, in a funny sense, before we had kids, we had all these lofty ideas about what we would do when we raise kids. See, this is what happens. When you don't have kids, you are like the whole foods of parenting. You're like, I will never give my kids that. They'll never get this. They'll only get this. They'll never watch TV. You see some kid with a tablet, you think like, Pff. <laughs> never going to give my kid a, <laughs> a tablet. <laughs> and then you have a kid. <laughs> Here, take it. Take it! Right? Like, just shut up. Be quiet. Like, I just, I need to make, we need to make it through the store without losing your brother again. Just take the tablet. Right? You have all these thoughts. Like, they're never, they're never going to eat junk food. And then you get home at 8.30 for dinner. And they're, like, 18-year-old dino nuggets are there in the freezer. And you're like, who wants nuggets? They're like, me! Right? See, that's what happens. That's the, that's the shattering of pride. Where, like, you had these lofty thoughts. And then real life smacks you in the face. And you're like, Oh, wow. You can't just tell them to be quiet at a restaurant. Hear me, people without children. I know. I see your judging eyes. I see you. I see you young adults. I just tell them to be quiet. I just tell them to be quiet. quiet. You're, be thankful he's not throwing beans, okay? Just be thankful he's not throwing things in here and running around. He still has his pants on. That's a net win for the day. Right? And when you have a kid, I know I'm not going to see you for nine months when you learn what it's like to actually have a kid. So a year and a half after you have your first kid and I finally see you again, I'm going to look you in the face and be like, how was it? How is it going? Right? Because it's like your pride is shattered. It's so easy. I think Paul's pride is devastated in this moment. Devastated. Could you imagine? You have committed your life to tracking down and murdering these Christian blasphemers. Why? Because they said Jesus was God and he has risen and he is now seated in glory. And you're like, not today he hasn't. And you track him down and you murder him. And on your way to murder him, you are hit by the glory of God and the risen Lord Jesus is speaking to you. I would have passed out right? Imagine that. Because it's not, that, not like Saul doesn't love the Lord. It's not like he doesn't love God. He's just very, very zealous and misdirected, let's say. Very misdirected. And now he's beholding the glory. And honestly, I think Saul is just silent and broken. He's actually persecuting the very God that he thought he was working for. Because he didn't understand the Lord. He didn't understand the fulfillment of the prophecy. But it's funny, God does not shame him. He just says it like it is. And begins to change his story. Look at verse 6. It says, 
But rise, enter the city, you'll be told what you're to do. It says, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing, so he was blind. It says, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, look at that, for three days he was without sight, and he, ne he neither ate nor drank. So he's blind, he's distraught, he has no appetite. I don't, it doesn't say it, but I guess he's probably a little depressed. He's probably down in the dumps. Because I don't think he's necessarily in some deep spiritual fast. He could be. But given the context, it seems more like he'd lost his appetite. As I imagine, <laughs> if God descended right now in a cloud of glory and blinded me and told me my whole life was doing the wrong thing, I would probably lose my appetite. But he's in this space, and I think it's interesting it says three days. That's an important number if you don't know that Jesus on the third day rose. And three days is important that Jesus in his tomb and in his death he rose. And in this, in this way Saul is dying to himself. But God is so good. God wants to raise him to life. And I know for us, if you've read the New Testament, you're a believer, you're like, of course, because it's Paul. But at the time, you have to understand this is enemy number one. This is like the leader of ISIS in Syria becoming, having an encounter with God. They're maybe not that extreme, but pretty extreme, right? Pretty extreme. Yes, even Saul. Because God is the God of restoration. You might not know this. You might be new to hearing about who the Lord is, or you might have heard a weird version, but let me just tell you today that God's goal is restoration of you to eternal life and relationship with him. That has been his goal from the beginning of creation. So I love what happens next. You still with me? Okay. Verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Says the Lord sent, or Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, it's in the name of a road, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. I love that these are both names that have been used negatively other places, right? You're like, Judas and Ananias, is this a rewrite? What? <laughs> says Ananias, he says, go to the house of Judas. Look at that. I'm going to read this again. Let me back up here. It says, Rise and go to the street called Straight in the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. So he's saying, Ananias, Saul's already had a vision of you. But Ananias answered, <coughs> Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief of priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias hits him with that. I'm so <clears throat> sorry, God, I think you cut out there. <laughs> I think we lost connection. I think we got our wire. Has God ever told you something crazy to do? And you're like, that surely was not God. <laughs> like, that was pizza I ate last night, right? That's coming up. Well, I get a little gassy, and that's what that is. He's like, I'm sorry, God. I thought you said the guy who I've been praying doesn't come and murder us. You want me to go find and touch him at a, the house of a dude named Judas. I don't know if you know your track record with Judas is Jesus, but I got to say, this might, I don't know if I'm hearing this right, Ananias. Like I don't know if I'm hearing this right. I think our wires are crossed. I've heard about Saul. I heard he was coming. I've been praying, and this is not really what I prayed for. Have you ever had God like give you what you've not been praying for, right? Have you ever been thankful for that? Like you look back, and you're like, thank you, Lord, for not giving me what I was praying for, because you know best. So here's, here's God's reply. I love God's reply to him. It says, the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and kings and the children of Israel. It says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is the conversion of Saul. The conversion of Saul is from persecutor to persecuted. 
This is where God leads him. He says, listen, see, you see him as the persecutor, but actually he's going to suffer more than anyone for the gospel. And so in verse 17, it says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, probably like, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Saul's vision was confirmed and his physical vision was restored and he's filled with the Spirit and he's baptized and he's, he's eating and he's strengthened. It says that scales fell from his eyes. He is completely healed by the Lord. But greater than that, his soul is healed. He is born again. He is filled with the Spirit. And if you've been a believer for a while, it might have lost its impact. But if you're new to this, and I hope you, you, you might understand with me, and I hope if you're old to this, you might be renewed in your understanding. This is enemy number one who God has come in and not hurt, not, not, not uh, made put in anguish, not punished, but he has restored. He has seen the God possibility in him. He, God sees how he created created Saul to be, not how the enemy has twisted it, but how God created him to be. And he says, I'm going to restore him to be a follower of Jesus. And you know his work's good because look what Saul does. Remember, he's a zealous guy. So some of us think, well, I got to get in a program and I got to get in a new believer thing and I got to go through like 18 small groups before I can tell anybody because I don't know how confident I'm going to be. Look what Saul does in the very next verse. It says, for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And it says in verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Look at that. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God. So the thing that he was about to have people taken away and executed for, he gets up and says. I mean, it's kind of good. I mean, it's, it's like when you see the cops pulling someone else over and you know you can speed, right? It's like, well, I'm not here to arrest me, so I think it's fine, right? And he gets up and he preaches boldly. He says, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem on those who called on this very name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? It says, but Paul increased all and more in strength, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I should tell you, one encounter with Jesus changes everything. Saul, who is also called Paul, he writes most of the New Testament. If you ever just want to just look through your Bible and look at all the things that Saul has written, all the epistles, all the letters, look at all the churches that he plants. Paul is the voice to the Gentiles. He is an epic apostolic leader. When we see Paul... In the New Testament, sometimes we think, well, I'd never. The gap between me and Paul is so great. But we forget he was Saul. He didn't stop being Saul, by the way. He just encountered Jesus Christ, and he changed everything. Saul is one of the most important conversions in the history of the church. Not only because of his role in the church, because it shows something to us, and I hope you see it today, is that God's grace is sufficient. Amen. Hear me today. God's grace is sufficient. Church, I know often we struggle to not only believe, but to understand the grace of God. Many of you here today do not believe that God loves you. You struggle to believe. You might think he likes or maybe he puts up with you, but you struggle to believe that he loves you, that he died for you, that he wants relationship with you. Many people I met with say, why would or how could God love someone like me with what I've done, who I am, my mess? And I just need you to hear me say today that God's Grace is sufficient. What does the word sufficient mean? It means more than enough for what you could need. Rolls Royce did this little gimmick one time where they released a car, and it ended up uh, being a funky kind of car, but there was no marked horsepower on it. Under the listing for horsepower, they never released the actual horsepower. They just put the word adequate. 
doesn't carry as much weight today, I don't think. <laughs> it was sufficient. It was a sufficient motor. They said it's sufficient for all you'd need. Whatever you need to do in this car, this engine will do it. It is sufficient for it. You need to drive here, go here, do this, be this, race this guy. I don't know, drive around your mansion. I don't know what you do in a Rolls Royce. Something cool, I hope, because they're sweet-looking cars, right? So whatever you need, it'll be enough. Can I tell you, God's grace, whatever you need, it's enough. It is sufficient. Whatever you've done, it's equipped to cover anything. Paul, in fact, later in life is struggling and wrestling with some things. And God says, listen, my grace is sufficient. That's God's response. His response is, if it was sufficient then to cover the things and to face the things, the difficulty and the mess and all that you were, it's sufficient now. God's grace is sufficient. And this is Paul. I love Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He said, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So you might think Paul and be like, Paul, you're not the foremost sinner. I am the foremost sinner, Paul. But you got to understand, everyone thinks that. Saul says, Paul says, God's grace is displayed through me. Hear me. God's grace is sufficient. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. His grace, you need to hear me say it today. I probably couldn't say it enough for some people today. God's grace, I, I know, Pastor, I, I know, but I, I, you don't really know. I just, the enemy's, I got this thing. Listen, God's grace is sufficient. Full stop. Full stop. God's grace. It's Jesus and nothing else. God's grace is sufficient. Grace is a funny word. People think, like, okay, well, it's grace, and it's made sufficient through uh, my, my weakness. Then should I just, like, keep sinning because grace covers everything? And I just want to say real quick, no. <laughs> right? No, right? You're like, well, it's grace, so, like, who cares, right? It's just grace. I'll just do whatever I want now because his grace is efficient. Like, well, I'm talking about salvation, I'm, I, but I'm also saying there's a response to salvation. I love Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means, exclamation mark. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Hear me this morning. True freedom requires the rejection of slavery. It's so important it's funny because you would think no one would ever want to return to slavery, and yet how often do we? The children of Israel are like, just send us back to Egypt, the place we were delivered from. How often we return in those moments, those hard times, the sleepless nights, to the things that are our slavery. 
See, grace is a gift. It's not through works. It is by faith. But God gave us grace so that we would not be slaves to sin and in being slaves to sin, be slaves to death. And this is the great exchange that we give our sin, we give our death to him, right? And we receive his life, a new life. We say, take my old self, take my, my, my sin, take my shame, take that, Lord. And he takes it, and he takes it to the cross, and he lays it in the grave, and he rises again to bring us new life. That's why 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. For the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question is, how do we reject slavery? We just say like, no. <laughs> right? I reject you. How do we reject slavery? We repent. That's a tough word. If you've seen movies, you've seen some kind of like fire and brimstone preacher, or if you've been to some church, <laughs> uh, you've seen some, and, and it's like they're using that word like a sword, like cutting at, attacking with. It's like a battle axe. Repent, repent. Now we're, it, it, the word, it already comes at you strong, right? <laughs> it lands how God intended. But here's what's so important. Through Jesus on the cross and through the grave, we have received grace. See, through sin, there's no way to eternal life and to freedom from sin and shame. We're just slaves to sin. But through Christ who came and paid our debt and bore our suffering, we now have a choice. We now have access. What sin separated, Christ reconciled. That relationship, Christ reconciled. He restored it. He opened the door. He made a way through grace. And then we now have a choice to follow or not. Someone said to me recently, well, I just don't like that I either have to choose uh, Jesus or he'll send me to hell. And I said, no, listen, Jesus is the only reason you have a choice today. There is no choice through sin and shame. There's only one way. And Jesus says, listen, now I'm the way. Follow me to eternal life and freedom. He's the reason we have a choice. He opens the door. Peter, when he's preaching even, when Peter stands up and he wants his fellow Jewish people to, to be free, to be free from slavery, not just Egypt, free from the slavery of the soul. He says, repent. In Acts 3, 19, look what he says. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You can hear the urgency in his voice. He says, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Hear me today. Repentance is a blessing blessing of freedom, not a burden of shame. Let me say it again so you hear it. Repentance is a blessing of freedom, not a burden of shame. The word repent, literally the, the word metanoia, means changing of one's mind. But I'm not talking changing like you change songs on Spotify or, or change a channel. Think of it like this. Imagine that, that we went skydiving. How many of you want to go skydiving? Just in general, you're like, in my life, I want to go skydiving. How many of you are like, I will never go skydiving? Okay, you and I are with us on this example then. <laughs> There's a lot of things I want to do, never skydiving. My wife, on the other hand, really wants to go skydiving. So you guys can go do that together. <laughs> uh, but just imagine skydivers and non-skydiving enthusiasts that we went together and we did the training, we went through the process and we got on the plane and whoosh, they threw the door open and just went, whoosh, and there's some guy named like Sage or Basket. They always have weird names, right? Right? And there's some guy named like Fluff or I don't know whatever his name is. He's other like, all right, we're gonna jump on three. And you're like, nope, whoosh, right? You changed your mind, right? You're like, Hard pass. I don't trust you. I haven't seen you wear shoes for three days. I'm not jumping out of a plane with you, right? <sighs> okay, you changed your mind, but you did more than that. You changed the direction of everything, probably your life. You changed the direction, your focus, your pursuit. It changed everything. That's that word. It's not just I changed my mind one day, one thing, one day, another thing. It's like I changed everything. I changed my thinking. To repent is to change the way I think, my life, my pursuits. 
Second Peter 3 says, God longs that none would perish, but that all would repent, that we would change our thinking, that we would shift from being attached, enamored with, stuck in, loving of sin that leads to death, that we go time and time again to drink from it. It's really just poison, that we would change our thinking, go like, wow, I want the well of life. I want freedom. I want redemption. I want to be made clean. I want to be restored. I want to be renewed. I'm tired of feeling poison. I'm tired of feeling gross. I'm tired tired of feeling anxious and depressed and frustrated. I want to be over here where there's life and there's freedom and there's hope and there's peace. That's the word repentance. I feel like we've been missing what it really means, church. Question is, how do we repent? How do we get into that freedom? Well, Scripture tells us we confess our sins. Confession, that's it. Confessing your sins, that's another phrase that gets us in a weird way, right? Like, ah, I don't know. But it's good. We surrender our heart. We declare Jesus as our Lord. Scripture tells us to confess to each other, but the most important one that we actually confess to that, that truly, truly matters is the Lord. Your confession is to God. In Psalm 51, David says, Against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. Sin is a rebellion against God as Lord. Repentance puts back the right order of lordship, which is God is Lord and I am not. You might think like, listen, I'm just, I'm just too messy for this. This is too much for me. And I just want to say repentance is not a shameful thing. It's freeing. Yeah. You, ever, you ever worked like outside in the summer here in the heat? I was doing this, but before we went out of town, just working and like I was just covered in just junk. I was like pulling up old turf. And it's like, I don't know how much dog pee was on it. It was just like sweaty and gross and awful. And like I came inside and I looked at my wife and I haven't had a great sense of smell since COVID. So I don't know what's happening 90% of the time, which is scary. You'd think that'd be normal. But if you don't know how you smell, that's a weird feeling. And I just look at her. I see her smell me. And I'm like, I smell like death, huh? She's like, yes. I was like, cool. So I, I went and I took off all my like smelling like death clothes and took a shower. You know that like when you haven't taken a shower a while and you take that, it's like, it's like, is water perfect? I don't know. It feels so good. And it just like washes over you and you take the, the smell of just gross and that, and, it, and it's all, that's repentance. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. It removes. It's not a cinder block. It's the wings of eagles. It lifts us up. It restores. It renews. If sin is death, then taking them off, it's like taking off the smell of death. The thing is about, and here's the thing about past sins. You need to hear this. Here's the thing about past sins. When we hold on to them, the enemy holds them over us. See, we hold on to them because we feel like God can never, and it's always in my head. And what's actually happening is the enemy is just holding them over you. We think we have power because we can kind of control the narrative surrounding our life, but really the enemy is just controlling the narrative in your mind. Jesus says, give them to me, right? Be free. Let me change. Let me restore. He says in Luke 5, 32, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call the sinners. And all of us sinners say, amen. He's calling all of the Saul's. He's calling you. He's calling me. Heather, you can come up to them. Today, some of you, the enemy's doing that. He's holding those over you. He's been holding that past shame over your head. He's, he's been dictating a narrative in your life about what kind of story he's going to write. Those sins are going to write. Can I just tell you, they might have written a chapter, but they're not going to write the book. God is writing a story of your life, and the story is a story of redemption. If you will allow him to ink the next page and to begin to write it out, write the beauty of restoration. Some of you are holding, down, you're holding on to some sins today. They live there. They live in your mind. You, maybe you've never given them, maybe never confessed them to the Lord, or maybe you have, and you've allowed them back. You've allowed that, that voice to come back in. Some of you, I feel like God has come in to encounter you. To like Saul, kind of like knock you down, not to be mean, but just to stop you in your tracks. To not in a cruel way blind you, but to, to close your eyes for a minute so that you're not distracted by the things around you and to begin to focus a spiritual vision on the Lord, to take your eyes off the distractions, the things you've been using to fill that place that God longs to fill with freedom and restoration and say, look, look, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Today, if you confess your sins, if you repent, you will be made whole and you will be free.
You don't have to go back. You don't have to drag them with you. You don't have to be locked into insecurity. Some of you today, you're believers, but you carry such great and radical insecurity with you because you still cling to at least just one one shackle from the chain. Hear me. His grace is sufficient for every person, for every sin. His grace is sufficient for you today who are struggling with shame. His grace is sufficient for the murderer. His grace is sufficient for the lustful. His grace is sufficient for the angry, for the bitter. His grace is sufficient for the people who have said or feel like they have failed. His grace is sufficient for the divorce, for the cheated with, the cheated on, the violent, the thief, the addict, the prostitute, the prideful. His grace is sufficient. Right here, right now, in this place. Some of you today, you've never received the grace of Jesus Christ. And like on the Damascus Road, I feel like Jesus has just sent me to speak to your heart said, my grace is sufficient. You don't need to keep going this way. Let's walk this way into freedom together. Some of you are believers. You know what believers hold on to? Bitterness, frustrations, anger, past hurts, past hurts from other believers. Can I just encourage you? God's grace is still sufficient for you. If it was sufficient when he saved you, it's still sufficient now. But the enemy wants to hold that over you. And Jesus wants you to just lay it at his feet so he can free you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy. It's easy. How many of you want freedom? Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? tell you his grace is sufficient through Jesus Christ there is hope for every future and healing for every past amen and if you're here this morning and you have never experienced that freedom of Jesus Christ the hope for the future and the healing for the past I want you to hear me say his grace is sufficient for you today and if you're here and you're saying you know what Jesus I want that I want that grace that's sufficient I want to confess my sins before you to give them to you. I repent. I turn my mind to you, and I say, I'm I'm following you. I want to walk in freedom and in life. If that's you, as the eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I just want to invite you, just lift your hand if you're saying, Jesus, I choose to follow you today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we thank you this morning that as we profess your name, Lord, as we call out to you, Jesus Christ, that there is hope for every future and healing for every past. So we give it to you in Jesus' mighty name. Second thing I want to pray for this morning is you're hearing his grace is sufficient. You're here right now, and if you are being totally and completely honest, you have things in your hearts that if you do not lay them down, if you do not put them under the feet of Jesus, the enemy will hold them over your head. You know yourself. You know your struggles. And you're here to say today, I just want to repent of those things and give them to the Lord. And say, God, I give you everything. I give you everything in my heart. And I ask right now that you would purify my heart and make me clean. I repent of all unrighteousness. And I want to put my heart in right standing with you today, Lord. I surrender all of my heart. And I want to walk in freedom. I don't want any chains of slavery following me and clinking on my way back home today. I want the freedom. I want the joy. I want the release of this. I got some bitterness. I got some hurts. I got some sins that have been lying under the cover that I've been trying to trying to keep hidden. But today, I just want to give them to you, Jesus. No shame, just freedom. No shame, just freedom. If that's you today and you're like, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm repenting. I'm giving you my heart. Would you lift your hands in this place? Let's pray together. I'd be honored to pray freedom for you. And as you do, as I pray for you, I just invite you to respond this morning with a prayer that says, Jesus, I repent of everything. I confess my sins. You speak them to him. You confess them to him this morning. I give them to you and say, Jesus, I receive your grace this morning and I thank you for your grace. Jesus, I thank you this morning that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
and your spirit is here and your spirit is with your believers and so we reject the lies of slavery from the enemy and those things that he tries to hold and we take them right now those things in our heart that we have held on to those things that we have gripped because we think if we grab them tighter we can control them but we've learned God that it is like a serpent that just turns around and bites us and poisons us and today we say we give them to you we surrender them to you we repent of them we lay them at your feet and in doing so we don't feel shamed we feel freed God I pray freedom this morning over every life I pray a release right now of burdens that have been upon shoulders even for decades right now that have been feeling the weight and afraid if someone found out this about me they wouldn't accept me and I'm here to say God we praise you that your grace is sufficient your grace is sufficient. We reject the lies of the enemy that your grace is not enough. And we say, your grace is sufficient. Hear me, your, his grace is sufficient for you. Holy Spirit, he is healing you right now in the name of Jesus. Receive his healing. Wherever you are, just say, God, I give you everything. And I receive the grace that comes from you. I reject the lies of the enemy on my life. And I receive the hope, the freedom and healing that comes from you. And I praise you, God, right now free us there's someone right now you have shame from a past relationship I'm not going to single you I just want you to hear me say that God says to you this morning my grace is sufficient for you that you're trying to make steps in your life right now to grow into the way God is calling you and yet that shame is coming in and God right now is saying my grace is sufficient it's not about blame it's not about forgetting or ignoring. Saul just didn't forget. He didn't just whitewash his past. He used it to glorify God and say, look what God can do through me. You're a testimony of God's love because your sin might be great, but his love is greater. Hear me today that his grace is sufficient for you. I got to say it one more time. His grace is sufficient for you. Can we pray, just pray together a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord? God, we thank you this morning that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that there's freedom. And I pray right now, even just a lightness in the Spirit, in this place, Holy Spirit, begin to move in peace. Begin to move in glory in this moment. And remind us just how much you love us. How much you love us, God. How good you are. How good your grace is. That we don't have to walk out ashamed. We are free, amen. We are free through Jesus. We are released through Jesus. We praise you, almighty God, that your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Is the Lord good, amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.